There's a fine line between being digitally connected and being a screen zombie. We talk with Janelle Burley Hoffman about how not to let our screens run our lives in this episode of Live Happy Now. The ancient Greeks defined happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential. To think about positive psychology, it's a science, and it's actually younger than the Internet, believe it or not. The reality is that social connection is, in the research, the greatest predictor we have of long-term happiness. You have some factors in your control that can promote the health and resilience and growth of your absolutely most important asset, which is your brain. And so it all comes down to understanding ourselves. There's a way for all of us to succeed, but, but it might take different things. We're all looking for the same thing, and that's a way to bring a little bit more joy to our day. Join us as we look at the many different paths that lead us to that happy place. This is Live Happy Now. Hello once again, greetings, and welcome to the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. Thrilled that you are making us a part of your day, wherever you are in the world, and however you may be listening. We're just we're just glad to be here, and we're glad you're here with us. We would also encourage you, while you're making us a part of your day, to make Live Happy Magazine a part of your regular reading. You can find it on newsstands everywhere, wherever fine magazines are sold, at least. And you can even find it digitally. If you're the e-reader type, you can put it on your devices, any kind of devices, really. You know, you got your notepads, you got your phones, you can find them in the Google Play and the Apple Store. It's available there for you. Got all kinds of content, ways to help you put the power of positive psychology into practice. And maybe also a lot of alliteration. I don't know. I don't, I don't control the writers. I can only control what happens here. And today, right here, we've got a fantastic episode of the podcast for you. Janelle Burley Hoffman, an international speaker, consultant, and author of the book, I Rules, What Every Tech Healthy Family Needs to Know About Selfie, Sexting, Gaming, and Growing Up. And Janelle joined Live Happy Science Editor Paula Phelps to talk about how we can all become a bit more mindful of our digital lives. Janelle, it is a great time to have you on our podcast. I don't think we've ever had a topic that's more timely than uh, how to use digital technology wisely and mindfully. We've all seen in recent months and weeks the misuse of technology, so we really want to talk to you about how we can use it for for good, not evil, and, and how we can really learn to master technology use. And what's interesting with you, I think, is the way that you got into this could could you tell us a little bit about how this all started for you? Sure, absolutely. So as a mother of five children, um, and my children right now are 8, 10, 12, 14, and 17, so I'm absolutely living in the digital age and parenting <laughs> in the digital age in a very real and very practical way every day. And also um, at the time before I really started thinking about technology and personal devices for my own children. I was doing youth and community programming here in my region on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. And so I was interacting with a lot of families. I was running a lot of programming with youth, um, doing parenting workshops and education. And what I was noticing that a lot of the topics, even if it was something so unrelated, was looping back to this idea of the technology and our connectedness. And that was really on the minds and hearts of a lot of families as well as in, in the, my, my own mind and really considering what this was going to look like as my children started to get older and become more independent. And so when my oldest son, who was 13 at the time, was really pining for his own smartphone, 
I really wanted to be deliberate in my approach to the technology because of what I had learned from other families and, and certainly how excited I was about the technology on one hand and all the positives that I saw with it, but also that I wanted to be cautious and thoughtful about it because it could become such a large piece of family life. And in, at that developmental age of adolescence, I, I really wanted to consider it. So what I did was um, my husband and I decided that we were going to go ahead and, and give him a smartphone. But what we what I did was create an 18-point contract outlining my exact intentions and expectations for his use of this device. How did he respond when he received that contract? Well, so, so here's the thing, right? He was so excited because I had always told him, oh, you'll get your own technology when you learn to drive. And I was really delaying it a little bit. Certainly we had technology in our house, but everything we had was shared, you know, a shared family iPad. We had a, you know, a gaming system that was shared in a really central location, but the shift would be that something was portable. Really, that was the big thing for me, the portable, constant access to the internet, really, and to, to peers and socializing. So when he got the phone, he was absolutely thrilled over the moon. And then, of, of course, when we sat down to really discuss the contract and, you know, beyond that initial excitement, what is this going to look like in our lives? And how are we going to integrate this in a way that's aligned with who we are and who we want to be? He, you know, he read through the contract points and, you know, he laughed a little and he was like, wow, mom, you did not miss a thing. And, um, <laughs> you know, because it was, it, was it was pretty thorough. Let's put it that so what, what were some of the things that you were emphasizing with that? So I can really see reflected in those points. Are, there's some really practical points like when I wanted him to turn it off at night, you know, kind of this tech curfew and that I wanted him to be reminded that whatever he said over this device, it wasn't private and that it had a permanence to it. So if he couldn't stand behind it or if he wouldn't consider saying it to someone's face, then really to rethink it. I also wanted to remind him to live fully away from that screen, right? That I didn't, what I was afraid of at that time was that his whole world, everything we'd worked towards to this point, would become, that device would become the most important thing. And it might even replace uh, some of those family and uh, um, powerful relationships that had developed and those peer relationships away from the screens as well. And, and so it addressed some of those issues in a really tactile and specific way. But then there were some more reflective points like keep your eyes up, see the world happening around you, go for a walk, talk to someone new. And then maybe the most tweeted was wonder without Googling, right? That I didn't oh, want yeah. it to take away <laughs> from, his, from his sense of imagination, his sense of creativity and problem solving. And so it was this great opportunity for me to really reflect on where we were and where we wanted to go at this critical point in adolescence. First of all, I think it's amazing that you were able to pull that all together and come up with that. But then can you tell us you took this to a whole different level that you did not expect to have happen? This is a really fun part of the story because truly this contract was written for my son and in particular to that child and our family and our relationship is really reflected in that contract from written in 2012 now. And what happened was I shared it with some friends of the family, and people started to say, you should really put this up on your own website. You should really share this. This might be useful to other people. And at the time, I couldn't really see that. And so what I decided to do is put it on my own website, and then as a, as a blogger for the Huffington Post, I reached out to my editor there, and I said, you know, I have this. This is getting a lot of shares from my own website. Is, is this something you want to use? And she said, I hope you're ready. Hang on. And that was really interesting to me because her perspective 
she just saw right away as the, as the parent editor at Huffington Post that this was something that was going to catch. And the very next day, you know, Good Morning America was in our kitchen interviewing us, and the contract uh, went viral. We had reporters following us around. It was shared, you know, hundreds of thousands of times in those first days. In that first week, it was translated into 12 languages. And so what I quickly realized was this was not a conversation just happening here around my kitchen table and in my community, that this was, this was really an international conversation beyond just the family system, but really in the workplace, in education, and in our interpersonal relationships and as individuals as well. Yeah, and I think one thing that's so interesting is even though it's written for a teenager, this applies to adults in every way. I think that's one reason we've all resonated. Anyone who's seen that, has it's really resonated with us. And can you kind of talk about how you see us, and, and let's take it as adults because we're the ones that have to lead the kids. How are we misusing our technology today? And this is such a critical point, and I think that the, con- the contract itself was really a starting point for a much bigger conversation. And, and I've been fortunate enough since the, the contract really took that I was able to bring a book titled I Rules to, to a greater platform and, and de- dig deeper into that conversation and then certainly speaking and engaging with families, individuals, corporations, organizations, school districts all over the world. And what I've heard in these conversations is, yes, we all want to model and mentor for our kids. We're all really excited about what the technology can do and how it can enhance our lives. And in, in the climate of, you know, shaming or having anxiety about how we're doing or trying to be perfect, I want to make sure that we're being kind to ourselves while we reflect on this behavior, you know, because right. it's so quick to say I'm doing absolutely everything wrong and, you know, I'm setting a bad example or I, I'm trying to multitask or I can't get it right. But in reality, what we're looking at is how can we use technology with purpose? How can we use it to enhance our lives? enhance the quality of our lives, to make things more convenient, to use it as a tool without it taking over our lives. And, and so what does that mean? You know, that can sound really philosophical or even really challenging, but when we boil it down, a lot of it we already know. A lot of it is, is things that we're thinking about when we think about other aspects of health like nutrition or exercise or sleep or, you know, our human communication and our interpersonal relationships. And so technology now becomes one of those platforms that we want to address and we want to think about. And for some of us, it's really just tweaks and small shifts in behavior. And for some, somebody else, it might be a giant overhaul of, of the way that we work or the way that we interact or a total reset button um, for a whole corporation, really, um, in, in the age of constant, being constantly connected via email or constantly connected to, to everybody in our lives, even if it's not just professional, but on a personal, you know, the group text that never ends right. type, of, <laughs> type of stuff like that that we can all relate to. So, so yeah, rethinking some of these systems and how, that we do have a choice in how we use the technology and reminding ourselves of that can be so empowering and give us such a sense of agency that we can set some of these eye rules or personal boundaries in our lives so that we don't have to resent the technology. And, and right. that it doesn't have to, to nag at us, that we can really curate the experience we want with the web. And now, a lot of times, we don't feel like we have control over it. We feel like we are being controlled by our technology, and it leaves us really feeling overwhelmed and drained. And 
And so one thing that you have talked about is digital mindfulness, and I love this concept. Can you explain what digital mindfulness is? Absolutely. So, so in the book and also in the work I do, I interchange the, the phrase digital mindfulness with the slow tech movement. And, and slow tech meaning not no tech and not a slow connection, but really thoughtful, right? Using technology mindfully and with purpose and being deliberate in the way that it's in our lives. And this, this activity alone can be a great opportunity to reflect on our values, to reflect on the cornerstones and the principles that are guiding our lives away from the screens, and how do we bring those to our screens? What feels important to us? You know, what character traits do we want to bring to the screen? And then, then how can we be really intentional about that? And, and it's a great opportunity for us to pause and say, hold on, I can turn my device to do not disturb. Maybe not for the whole night when I get home from work, but maybe during dinner time. Or maybe for those 20 minutes when my kids are transitioning in from sports or school. Or maybe when my spouse is, is standing in the kitchen with me and we're having a cup of coffee after dinner and we want to say, you know, what was it like to be you today to our right. partner or to our relationship? Or we want to go out for a run without having to track absolutely everything that we're doing. Or we just want to clear our heads and, and walk the dog without multitasking on the phone or checking emails while we walk. And, and so we can bring this attitude of mindfulness to our technology, and it can actually free us up in a lot of ways that we used to feel like, oh, wow, we celebrated that we could be doing a little bit of everything at once. Mm -hmm. And what I'm seeing, the trend now is like, wait a second, um, if everything is urgent, <laughs> then nothing is urgent, right? And right. this idea that how do we prioritize what gets our attention and when? So then how do you start? Because we all all seem to be in that same boat where, as you said, everything is a priority. You're getting hammered with text, emails. And, and how do you begin to practice digital mindfulness, like very easy first steps? Sure. So we're reflecting on culture, right, the culture we want in our families, the culture we want in our workplace, the culture we want in our societies. And we were all very excited to adopt the technology when it came on the scene, especially the portable technology. And we could go on and we could do a, a whole podcast on all of those great benefits. But we, we really now are, are reflecting back and we're saying, okay, the technology is here to stay. So where do we want to shift and what kind of changes can we make as individuals that might impact change as a whole family system or a whole school system or, or a whole organization? And some of those changes might just be how we would reflect on our own well-being. And so are we getting enough sleep, right? That's a question we want to ask ourselves. I hear this from kids as young as, you know, eight years old, that they want to put their, they want to put their iPad away, but there's just always one more YouTube video to watch. Always, um, you know, there's always something being fed to us. And, and so it's hard. We can't rely on a, a child's self-discipline. Um, that's not enough, right? That right. children need that guidance for those natural stops, that we want to think about a beginning and an end to our day, uh, even as adults, that, you know, it's hard in our current tech society to feel a sense of completion because it almost mm -hmm. never ends and we're crossing time zones and, uh, you know, we can be working all the time. But thinking about ending our day, thinking about our sleep is a really great way to start for people at all ages and in all different situations. And how can we really turn off and shut down and unplug so that um, going to sleep is easier. We have that chance to reset for a new day. And I think that's a really nice place to start. 
And that seems like something that, uh, I'll interrupt real quick, that seems like something that you really need to put some thought into. It's not like I'm going to at 8 o'clock at night say, okay, I'm going to end this day at 10 o'clock and that's going to be it. It's something you really have to kind of plan, isn't it? Just like you would plan exercise or anything else into your day. It's something you, you need to plan for and create a strategy so when your mind is saying, oh, but let me just do one more thing, you have a way to cut it off. Yeah, I think, again, that come, we come back to this word, you know, in mindfulness is like intention, right? What is our intention with this? Why are we doing it? And reframing it from being a punishment to actually a privilege to be able to stop our day, to be able right. to have some time before we go to sleep. So, so really flipping some of these ideas on their head because we will always feel like there's one more email we could check or uh, one more social media scroll we could go through. Absolutely, the Internet never ends. <laughs> and, and so that, that feeling can really be overwhelming. And so that's just a good habit to set for all of us, just for our overall, you know, our, our brain, our moods, our appetites. Are all, certainly we're seeing all of this research around sleep and how we can support that by really integrating the devices that way. And I think that's a, a really measurable place for people to start. And in addition to that, I think food and mealtime is another great place whether we're eating in the, the teacher's room at our school where we work or there, we have an opportunity to lunch with colleagues or we're talking about a family dinner or a family breakfast even on the fly. And these things might be only 20 minutes, 30 minutes, under, you know, under an hour, but can we give ourselves that time to just feel that sense of a break, a letdown, and, and being together with other people that we value because I think that these natural breaks have been taken away from us that used to be part of our culture and we're working through or we're at least checking in in all of these different ways in a way that that doesn't reset us and it doesn't feel mindful. So I think sleep and mealtime are two really great places to start. Say you've adopted digital mindfulness. You do not use your phone during meals. It stays in the purse and doesn't even hit the table. And you go out to lunch or dinner with somebody who does not feel that same way and is constantly (laughs) checking their phones. I mean, we've all been in that situation where you're kind of wondering why am I here because they're having a text war or whatever they're doing over there. (laughs) So what is the proper way to approach something like this? So this is such a great question, and and I really appreciate you reflecting on it this way because sometimes things are easy to say and hard to do. So, So we want to look at this like what is realistic and how can this be actionable? And so for a family, I think it can be really fun to see it as a challenge, right? Like the whole family's taking part of it. And, and just to reflect on this a bit deeper, I work with thousands and thousands of students in all different types of environments every single year, all socioeconomics, cultures, religions, um, all different backgrounds. And one thing I consistently hear from them is that they would like the mindfulness and attention of their family in particular around mealtime. And, and so they, they are very good at verbalizing um, what a barrier devices can be to connecting with the people that take care of them. And so, again, this is not to make people feel bad, but to think about, okay, maybe I can't unplug all night, but maybe during that half hour I can be fully present. And that, that our children are watching and they are paying attention to that for us. And this is just a great habit to get into and so with our families, I think it can be something we can say, okay, you know what, we're going to set up this challenge this way. And do you think we can try it for a week and really build from there? But then, of course, outside of the family system, if we're going to 
lunch with people. And a lot of times we lunch with people because we think that they might have great ideas. We want to draw from their energy. We might be able to come up with some creative solutions. And so really, again, being proactive instead of reactive, you know, it's one thing to be sitting and having everybody pull up their devices and saying, you know, you're being so rude, you keep looking at your device, right? <laughs> that's, that's really not what anybody And it goes over really do. well with people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's not going to land so well. But again, maybe, um, you know, in a conversation before, it's like, you know what, I would really love to have this conversation. Do you think we can do a device-free lunch? You know, do we think oh, we excellent. can just have this time? So kind of setting that boundary ahead of time or even, I, you know, constantly working with um, partners, right, people who are living in the same space and really trying to, to, to nurture an intimate relationship. And so saying to them, I want to have a date night, but can we do a device-free date night? Or, hey, can we leave our phones home? Or can we just bring one phone in case the kids need us, but like, let's leave it in the, the car when we go into the restaurant? Because we're all looking to find meaning. This is really about connection. And, and so the technology is a great tool, but there are, it's a, there's a time and place where we want to use that tool, and it can certainly make our lives easier. But for, for the people that are in our everyday lives, or even the people we don't get to see so much, um, they're craving our attention. And there are ways that we can, we can give that. And they're very simple, and it doesn't mean surrendering all of our technology, and it doesn't mean that we need you know, big, huge tech breaks in our life, though certainly people are doing wonderful things with some digital detoxes and digital diets integrated mm -hmm. into their uh, digital well-being plan. But there, there's some really great opportunities to just bring it into our lives in a very small and manageable way to make big changes. And, and even if we're doing it, say, because I want my children to learn a certain thing, we get a benefit from it. Because what do you see in people when they start practicing this and quit being so dependent on the phone and picking it up every time it signals them, what kind of changes do they experience? This is, this is the most incredible part of the work is initially people view it as a punishment, right? Like, oh, this is going to be torturous. This is going to be hard. This is going to be impossible. Or they believe that the other people might see it as a punishment, like their children or their teenagers. But the benefit is so amazing because a half an hour together can feel like a lifetime. It can feel so intimate and so personal. And for anybody that's read Sherry Turkle's Reclaiming Conversation and some of the research on what um, she, she digs into is so fascinating in regards to what we even unconsciously relate seeing a device to, right? So if you and I are having lunch together and one of us has our device on the table, we associate that with being interrupted. So that conversation might not go very deep because we understand that, uh, oh, that, that means that someone might text, it might ring, ding, or buzz, or need us, and that will become the priority. And Interesting. So, so, so our children certainly are seeing that in our young people, but what, what we get from this is that new sense of being present, of taking our time, of saying, you know what, this is something of value, and this is worthy of me. And what happens is it becomes a little bit contagious, is that we crave that. We want some space even more than we anticipated because we, it's not just a want. Essentially, it's need-based, mm -hmm. that we need to have some time for our creativity, for our problem-solving, for our own imagination, um, just to relax. That, yeah, our brain we, needs to stop working at some point. Absolutely. It's, as a curious person, I can relate to how great the Internet is until it isn't because I've consumed so much information and 
my colleague David Ryan Polger talks about this concept of mental obesity, right? That we're just taking <laughs> in so much content all the time. So, so this is a fascinating point to reflect on too, is that, you know, mindful in how much we're consuming and how much we can actually process over the course of a day so that we don't feel drained and overwhelmed by everything that we've taken in. That is really great information for us to think about uh, because it is. It's so easy to start taking it in and and using that food analogy, we just start consuming junk <laughs> and yes. and it just keeps going. So that's that's fantastic. Um, you know, this is a topic we could talk about all day, but I don't think they're going to let us. So <laughs> tell us where you've got some great resources for people, great starting points. Tell us a little bit about where we can find out what you're doing and and how people can get more information on this. Sure, absolutely. Um, everyone can visit my website at JanelleBurleyHoffman.com. Also, um, my book, I Rules, What Every Tech Healthy Family Needs to Know About Selfies, Sexting, Gaming, and Growing Up, is available everywhere books, audiobooks, and ebooks are sold. I'm on all social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, at Janelle B-H, J-A-N-E-L-L-B-H. And people can certainly reach out to me over email. I answer questions, have an Ask Janelle column that people can connect with, and I have a really great resources page for work beyond my own on my website as well. And, and I think it's important, too, that, that people remember to take those deep breaths, that that's part of mindfulness before they send, before they post, before they share, and really thinking about the messages that our bodies are trying to give to us um, as our jaw clenched, our fist clenched, how's our heart rate, <laughs> and bringing that attention is part of paying attention to our digital mindfulness as well, too. Well, thank you very much, Paula and Janelle. We very much appreciate that conversation. And we would very much appreciate you checking out livehappy.com and get a free sketch note of this episode and a link to create your own iRules contract right there on livehappynow.com. And join us next week. Paula is going to be doing another episode with me, though. <laughs> she drew the short straw. Now we're going to be talking about gratitude playlists, all kind of fun stuff and musically inclined stuff for you. If you're so inspired, it's perfect for the Thanksgiving season, really. What do you think about it? Also perfect for the Thanksgiving season, letting us know what you think of the podcast. You can find us on Twitter at LiveHappy, Facebook.com slash LiveHappy, and you can even send us an email, podcast at LiveHappy.com. We want to hear from you. For Paula Phelps and Janelle Burley-Hoffman, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long. Thank you, and remember to always live happy. <laughs>